We are live for the first ever God is Awesome podcast. Um, right now, my name is Aaron Mamuyak. We are we have our first guest, Adam Skolnick. What's going on, Adam? Another day in paradise, man. Awesome, awesome. Well, this ad this podcast this podcast this podcast is all about uh, us thinking that God is awesome and. Uh, going through your journey or testimony and, um, you know, how God was working awesome things in your life. And um, I've got a list of questions here, but maybe just start off telling a little bit about who you are. Who I am. Okay. Um, I am, first and foremost, I am a father and a husband. Um, or I guess if we're being really honest, I should do that properly. First and foremost, I'm a believer in Jesus. All right. Uh, and what he's done for me. And then through him, I'm able to continue to be successful as a father and a husband. Cause that always, that wasn't always the case. Wow. But so yeah, I'm that. And then beyond that, from a career perspective, I'm in a transition. Um, I'm working on a book, which will be my second, but on a completely different subject, okay. uh, I'm working on a business my wife and I have together and I am working on becoming a pastor. So yeah, I am a lot of things right that's, now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, you said you're a Christian, Father. How how long? What's the timeline here? How long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a husband, a father, uh, things like that? Okay, so I've been a I accepted Christ as the reason for life, uh, as my personal Lord and Savior. I guess is the tagline. <laughs> Um, I, that happened, uh, a year next month. So like early, like the second week of April actually, um, is when it happened last year. So I'm almost at a full year with Christ as the center of everything. Pretty much an expert. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause it's like very, very simple and yet extremely complicated. So I guess in one sense, I'm an expert, but I guess in one sense, any Christian who fully understands the gospel is an expert. So the rest of it's all like superlative. But anyway, um, so there's that. Um, so as a Christian, I'm going on a year. Um, and then I was baptized in uh, the late summer. So I guess those are the two like aspects or introductions to Christianity as far as the timeline for me. Uh, I got married uh, December 9th, 2007. So I've been a husband for uh, 12 years. Well, no, because we're just in, into the new year. So like 11 and a third years. Um, my kids were born a couple months later. Um, so the, the twins, I have twin boys, they're 11 and I have a five and a half year old daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been parenting for a little bit now. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, those are my identities, I suppose. Cool. Cool. Um, what, tell me a little bit about your journey, your faith journey, your journey to like, uh, understanding a, a relationship or a love for God or rather how God loves you. Um, want to hear a little bit about your history and like what you believe um, and how you came to those beliefs and then what changed here. Okay, sure. So um, the short version of the potentially extremely long story is I've come to realize God has been with me since birth, um, which is a really cool realization in retrospect. But yeah. as a teenager, I had a problem with drug addiction. Um, I overcame that. Um, through the painful realization that I was the only one of my friends who hadn't died yet. They were all gone. I was next. And so it was tell, really- Tell me a little bit about that. What do you mean 
drug addiction here. Okay, so at 11, I did my first line of cocaine. I really, really liked it. 11? 11, yeah, uh, 11. I really, really liked it. Um, like, really liked it. What, uh, happened, what happened there? How do you, I mean, how does an 11-year-old wander into a line of coke? Uh, I, there was a girl I liked. That's was she like, was she like 25? No, she was also 11. Oh, well, no, she was 12. She was a little older than I was. Anyway, so we sat on the bus every day together mm -hmm. going to school. And I say together only because we were both on the bus. We weren't together. We weren't friends. I was fascinated by this girl. Um, but I never spoke to her. Like I went the entire year without actually speaking to her. Um, and the last day of school, I was in kind of a crummy mood because my best friend had like ignored me for a week. And I was just like, it's the last day of the school year and you didn't even talk to me. I'm mad. So I decided that day when I got on the bus to sit next to this girl, she didn't talk to me at all. I sat next to her and she allowed it, but she didn't talk to me. Um, her stop was before mine on the bus when it was her stop, which I knew by heart because I was the last stop. And so I knew when everyone got off. I stood up, I allowed her to leave, and she grabbed my hand as she passed, and she said, you're getting off with me. And I was like, no, I'm not. And she went, you are. And then she let go of my hand and left, and I had that like moment that you see in movies where like you talk to yourself for a minute, and you're like, should I do it? This is a bad idea. My house is nowhere near her house. What am I going to do? And then uh, off it went. Um, and she was the one who had the older friends. So the, the joke that you told a minute ago about like, was she 25? She was not, her friends were in their twenties. And so we ended up at a friend's house um, in her neighborhood who we walked in and there was like this haze in the room. There was like pot and cigarettes like filled the room and he was wasted. And so we did a whole bunch of things. Um, I don't even know what that life is, you know? <laughs> I don't even know. It's something. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's how I wandered into a line of Coke. So I, the Coke was there and I did that because everyone else was doing it. It was a literal, like story of peer pressure. Everyone so you liked it a lot, a lot peer pressure, like a lot. And that, I'm guessing that sent you off into, that started you down on a road. Yeah. So up until then, the only like truly negative thing that I had going for me, um, if you don't count the fact that I didn't have Jesus in my life, um, mm -hmm was my dad wasn't around. My parents had gotten divorced when I was two. My dad lived in Canada. I lived in the States and we had no com no communication whatsoever. Um, so that was bad. You know, as a young boy, you need your, your dad. My mom worked a lot, so she was gone a lot. So I did most of the rearing of myself as a child. I did myself. Um, so it was a really nice escape. And what it did was it became, it was the drugs and alcohol was the first time that I'd found anything that I had control over against myself so like it was the first time that i took any negative action towards myself personally so like it was the beginning of the self-destructive pattern that like pervade my entire life until so you were control so negative things were happening to you but they were out of your control so yeah. you decided to control it by doing the negative things to yourself yeah and it was fun like I had this new friend who had sure. new friends and it was fun. And it was like, it was reality distorting and I was a fan of myself. Yeah. So it was nice to be reality distorting in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, and it lasted a nearly three and a half years. So like right, right before uh, 14, right before my 14th birthday is when I actually got clean. And I got clean because all of the friends in our circle had died of either overdoses or suicide or um, wow. just poor decisions like you jumping in front of a car because they thought it was funny because they were on drugs, like stupid things. 
Yeah. And it was only her and I that were left. And um, there was a party coming up and the party was supposed to be amazing, but we weren't really party people. So we were going to go, we were going to get trashed first. Um, so I gave her all the money that I had and she took all the money she had and she was going to go buy all the drugs and we were going to do the drugs together and then go to this party. And I, she never met up with me. And so I never went to the party. Um, and it was kind of a, a, a giant disastrous waste of an evening. So what I ended up doing was instead of attending the party, I ended up going to everywhere. I ended up walking through the rooms of the house where the party was held, looking for her, thinking she was there. Everyone had gone home at that point. There was nothing to see. And I found out the next morning uh, through the newspaper, actually, that she died um, from a drug overdose. And I knew what she was going to buy and what I was going to buy. And I knew because we'd been doing drugs together for years that there was no way she overdosed on just what she bought for herself. And so I had this moment where I was like, had I not bought drugs that night, she'd still be alive. But So essentially, she took all of our drugs and that's how she yeah. died. Um, it was that day that I realized that I was now completely alone as a drug addict. And that was the first time that I'd ever felt like the world had done something to me. Hmm. Like for three years I was in control and then this, now the world had did something to me. And so I stopped. That was the day that I stopped. Wow. Put all so, shoebox and dropped it into the canal across the street from my house. Wow. That's yeah. a lot of like self-awareness. That's a lot for a 14 year old, you know, that's yeah. a lot. It was a lot. So how does that lead us or rather lead you into the next phase of your life versus, you know, where I'm trying to track where God was in this whole journey. So uh, based on my behavior, um, there was no reason why I should have stopped doing drugs. Mm -hmm. Like typical, like a, the typical performance of a drug addict is anytime there's an emotion, you go back into the drugs. Those are your, that's your escape. That's your relief. Um, so in that moment of like, I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to stop doing drugs. I knew immediately that that was what was supposed to happen. Um, my mom was dating this guy that I was not a huge fan of, but he, and he lived in another area, but he was, he came to us and he stayed with us. And, um, I stopped doing drugs. And when most of the time, when you're a drug addict, you have friends that are drug addicts and you hang out around people who are drug addicts. And so that, that was kind of my circle. So even though all my friends were dead, I still knew all the dealers. And so it would have been extremely hard to quit on my own. Yeah. I'd also decided completely to not tell anyone that I had an addiction, like my mother, nobody knew. Hmm. Uh, so quitting would have been like astronomically difficult. Yeah. Um, I had that sent that mental clarity for a minute. Like I had to stop doing drugs, but that was as far as that my thought process had gone. And it wasn't two, three, four days later that my mom had announced that we were moving. Um, we never discussed moving. There was no plans to move. We were just like, my mom was like, I just feel like we need to get out of this town. I don't know why, but I just feel like I'm, I'm done living here. Mm -hmm. um, and we moved, which enabled me to survive um, post addiction when I had no friends and nowhere else to turn. And so we ended up living on the Treasure Coast um, and getting a house here uh, where the dude that I didn't like that she was dating moved in with us and he had an addiction. Uh, he was an alcoholic. And so his addiction kind of mirrored what I had just gotten out of. And so the next thing that I fell into was um, cutting, cutting and burning. So like self-mutilation, that was what I fell into. So that was my next like self-destructive phase. How old were you? Uh, that would have been 14 through 16 or 17 was my like, cutting phase. So, um, so that was the next self-destructive thing that I did. 
And as many times as I wanted to try and kill myself, I was unsuccessful every single time. How many uh, times? Three. Um, I ended up in a psych hospital all three times. And I, I learned. So also characteristic of someone who is very like self-destructive. They usually don't care too much for other people who are trying to help them. But I developed friendships with the nurses. Um, Why do you think that is? Uh, I think that that was God trying to lead me in in like a be mindful of your own health direction. I don't think that he I don't think at that point in my life I was ready to accept God. I've found that um, I wasn't comfortable accepting God into my life until I was completely out of other options. And at that point in my life, I had in my head, I had lots of other options. And so I wasn't it wouldn't it wasn't a thing for me. I was actually openly against God at the time. Um, well, hmm. My, uh, my, well, my mom was Jewish. My dad was Jewish. My grandparents were Jewish, but I was forced to have a bar mitzvah, not because anybody cared, but because my, it was important to my grandparents. Mm. So I had the bar mitzvah. It was a completely not spiritual experience for me. In fact, I was told on a number of occasions, you have to do this because everyone else in the family will do it and they need to know. It was based, so basically like it was to keep up appearances for lack of a better description. My grandparents- For your family. Yeah, my grandparents needed their friends to know that their grandchildren were being bar mitzvahed. Yeah, yeah. So that's so I was so I became very embittered towards the whole idea of God, um, because the rabbi that was tutoring me was literally tutoring me with the end game of me properly delivering what I needed to to successfully have a bar mitzvah. It wasn't at all about a connection to religion. It was just this is how you say the words, say them correctly. Yeah. Um, so I ended up calling myself Wiccan. Uh, which is the like pseudo religious title for witchcraft. Okay. Uh, I don't know why more so. I think it was more of a fad than anything. It's, I mean, it's a legitimate religion. Like you can research it. It's a thing. Oh, it's yeah. really a thing for me. I've made it a thing. I called it a thing, but I don't think it was really. Was it uh, an understanding of a spirituality, but a rejection of what you grew up in? Yeah. Or, and like yeah. a way to control. I think life. the way to control the thing that enticed me so much about it was that you were the one enacting, causing actions and enacting change mm. in the world around you. And through that was like, that was like spell casting and, and stuff like that. And I don't yeah. think anyone ever cast ever did anything. Right. But it was, it was a spiritual thought process, but still with complete control unto yourself. And so it wasn't very fulfilling at all. So there's a control aspect through your, through your life that you could kind of see. Exactly. And I had a lot of emotional issues because of this guy that we'd moved in with, or he moved in with us, him and his alcoholism. And so the cutting and the self mutilation and the suicide attempts were all an attempt to control the pain that I was feeling by, by replacing it with a pain I had control over. Hmm. So okay. that's, kind of, that's kind so of awesome. we're about 19 right now. 16 uh, is 19. We're at 17 when I stopped cutting myself. 17, 18, okay. senior year of high school. And I transitioned. So what stopped you there? You said um, ended. sort of the same thing. Um, the friends that I had that were in the same mindset, the same like emotional destructive mentality. I was the worst of all of my friends, I think at the time, as far as like the damage I was actually causing to myself, but they were all mo either moving away or dying or just disappearing from my life. And I was alone again. And I, again, I saw the reality that like, if I continue with this, I'm not, there will come a time where I won't fail at suicide and I just won't exist anymore. Hmm. Um, 
And so again, even though I didn't really have a whole lot of value in my life, I had this experience in my head where like I needed to stop. Yeah. So, so take me through here from, from that phase of your life. Uh, where do we find ourselves now? As, so, I mean, like through that twenties age. Yeah. So the twenties, the twenties age is actually when I met, I met my wife. So there's a very short window from like 18 to almost 20 where I replaced self-destruction through cutting with self-destruction through bad relationships. Hmm. I intentionally dated girls who were completely like messed up in the head. Um, purposely, purposely because they were screwed up. And so I knew that it would create chaos in my life. Um, so I moved out of my mom's house. I got into college, but didn't take it seriously. Um, took classes that got me nowhere in life. I don't have a degree. Um, I took a lot of cool classes. I don't have a degree though. Uh, and it was just, it was another way of self-destruction. I was just dating people who were a complete disaster and making bad adult decisions, like taking out seven credit cards and buying things I didn't need. Yeah. Uh, and then I found my wife uh, at Target, actually. She was working and I went shopping, so it's evidence you can find anything at Target. Um, <laughs> and we got married a year from that, from the day after we met. We went on our first date the following day and we got married a year later. Um, and for a little while, I replaced that little empty hole in my life with her and, and pouring into her and giving my like, and so I became addicted to instead of addicted to drugs or addicted to self mutilation or addicted to bad relationships, I was now addicted to like romancing my wife, which on the surface sounds phenomenal. Um, but it's still a hollow thing. Um, why is I, that? Why is it a hollow thing? Because ultimately there's always like human relationships or human interpersonal connections are always going to let you down just because people in, are inherently sinful and flawed. And so we're not mm -hmm. capable of filling that entire void for each other. Um, and so ultimately she, I was going to let her down or she was going to let me down. And that facade of like romance was going to fade a little, and you can still be romantic with someone and be in a like epically love, like laden story, but you have to have Jesus in there somewhere. Otherwise yeah. it's eventually fall apart. And neither of us had Jesus at the time. So, so are we missing any other, uh, big broad movements in your life? Um, before we get to Christ? Yeah. So there's one, so we had children a few weeks at few weeks a few months after the marriage um mm -hmm. was finalized we had we we became pregnant the the weekend that i proposed actually if you draw the timeline back okay um, and so this was premarital premarital so sex. okay gotcha gotcha just lining it out for everyone lots of sex in, in my life before that i was not <laughs> wait till marriage human being there because sex is also a, like a, a means of control and so there sure. was a lot of sex when there shouldn't have been yeah um and it, I hope you're okay with like just you're a pretty open guy, so I just no, I'm a, I like asking questions. I'm a pretty open guy. The the book that I'm writing now is the I sort of what we're talking about. It's like the the journey that I took from complete self destruction to like self reliance and my like from self reliance to Christly reliance, if that's the best way to explain it. But that's what I'm writing right now. And so awesome. I've always been a very yeah. open bookie kind of person. Awesome. Um so yeah, what's this big movement here with the with the kids? Yeah. So the last big movement is I had this massive selfish streak in me um, where I took all of our money, um, put it into schooling to become a hairdresser so that I could then take all of our money and put it into building my career as a hairdresser so that I could then take all of our money and put it into building a salon so that I could then take all our money and put. So it was constant me, 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 me. 
Um, and it, my that self-destructive pattern was just breaking other people down and manipulating them into doing whatever I wanted that culminated with me having an affair with a client, um, a, a client in my salon. Um, and that was at our seventh, like around our seventh year of marriage that that lasted for longer than it should have. Wow. Um, and so that was the last movement really of self-destruction when I ended it. And again, same, same like pattern as the ending of the drugs and the ending of the um, cutting, there wasn't really a reason why I should have ended it. I didn't get caught. I hadn't been caught yet. There were no close calls. I just felt like I needed to stop. Yeah. Um, like not necessarily an external force was forcing me, but there was something that was like, this is wrong. Yeah. And I hadn't, I knew it was wrong and I was guilty for it, but that was actually the reason that I did it. It was self-destructive. It was intentional to like hurt me because mm. uh, we were unhappy with our lives. My wife and I had a very strained relationship for a little while prior to the affair because we had a miscarriage and we didn't talk about it. So like I went back to self-destruction and she went into herself because there was no one for her. And so we had the miscarriage and then the affair. And I ended the affair for basically no reason. I, I feel dumb saying that, but like because of the, the pattern of self-destruction, there would not have been a reason for any other affair-laden human to be like, I should stop. But yeah. I did. And then she caught me shortly thereafter. Um, so it had ended, but just barely. And so we almost fell apart. And by all rights, we should have divorced. Like my, my only marital background was my parents being divorced and my mom stopped like dating and then not dating so many people. So like all I knew was to run away. Yeah. I was good at it. Um, but for whatever reason, we didn't separate. Um, we stayed together and we fought through it. Um, and that fighting never really went away. It, it took us a couple years of like really going back and forth about it and fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, and then I got, and then we found Jesus actually, that was kind of when that happened. So like, um, I'd gotten in a car accident, which messed up my back and ruined my car. Um, I bought a new car that ended up being, it was an old car, but new to us. And it ended up being extremely unsafe. And we got in an accident on the highway. Um, everyone was fine, but like our tire literally exploded. Um, not went flat, but like went. Um, and I had borrowed three grand from my mom because we didn't have any money to buy that car. So we're now three grand in debt with a car that doesn't work. And I was sitting on my kitchen counter with like my head in my lap, just crying because there was nothing left. Like I had exhausted every like ounce of humanity and I was just empty. That's crazy. And there was a lot of godliness going around in my life at that time. My daughter attended VPK at uh, Sunlight, the church mm -hmm. that I met you at. Um, and she would come home and say things like, you know, Jesus is the light of my life. And she was five or four at the time. So to her, like, I don't know that she knew necessarily what that meant. But that's what, what is mean. this child who you were yeah. saying? What are you saying? Yeah. And she kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And my wife and I in the business that we run together, there's a lot of Jesus culture. Uh -huh. the more successful leaders in the business are very faith-based and they're not ashamed to talk about it. And they talk about how God has blessed them with these jobs. And so there was a lot of faith oriented things happening around me. And I just kept thinking like all of these leaders say, first you have faith and then you have success in your business and God has to come first and then he blesses you. And I just kept saying, you know, if I do all of the actions they took and skip faith, surely I'll end up the same way because faith is just a thing. And I was doing all the things except the faith and I wasn't getting all the things that they were getting. And so when the accident happened and I had no more car and no more money and I was sitting on my counter, 
I came to this conclusion in that moment that like, if I can't, I can't look at my wife in the eyes or look at anyone in the eyes and say that I did everything I could if I don't try faith. Cause it was the only thing I hadn't done yet. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally I'd done everything in life that I could do except that. And so I decided in that moment that that's what I was going to do next. That was going to be my next like bandaid, if you will, yeah. um, find faith. And so that journey, that moment happened the day after Christmas, that, that car accident explosion sitting on the counter incident was December 26th um uh 2017 and we went to the new year's eve service at sunlight a couple days later because if you're going to go to a church you may as well go to one that teaches your daughter about jesus so that's how yeah. we picked the church and There's i just, an easy connection from the preschool to the church exactly i just fell in love with it the pastor that night um was bill um and he just like the words out of his mouth were written for me and I've heard a lot of other people make statements like that in the past, like, oh, that sermon spoke right to me. And when people say stuff like that before, I would say, well, that's stupid. Yeah. You're just, you want to say something really emotionally clever. You want to believe what, you know, you want to believe. Yeah, exactly. But I sat in that seat and I listened to that sermon and I was like, this is everything I needed to hear right now. Um, and then it's always crazy, man. That's always awesome. You, that hits you like that. Yeah. We went back a couple weeks later and I heard Pastor Scott speak and it was, again, it was everything I needed to hear. And then a couple weeks later, we went back again and it was you um, and you were preaching. And as a hairdresser, I had this very like youthful, energetic style and I was an educator for hairdressing. So I was on stage presenting hair techniques and hair design and that's what I wanted to do. And so I was on stage and my delivery and my personal style in presenting is very much like yours. Mm -hmm. So when I saw you... Um, you would have been the third pastor of the same church that I connected with. And my wife and I looked at each other when the sermon was over and she was like, you should go see where he is. You should go meet him. Yeah. So I made it like my personal mission to find you after the service. And I did. And that was kind of the moment that I realized that like, this isn't just a thing I'm trying, like this could be real Yeah. because it, my experience of people is that people are very self-centered. And so when you say, Hey, I really liked you on stage, they then talk about how great it is that they do what they do. But instead I was like, yeah, I really connected with what you said. And you spent five minutes asking me questions. Um, and every time I answered the question, I expected you to be like, and then, and tell a story about yourself. And you didn't, you just kept like focusing on me and you seemed like genuinely interested. And the end of that conversation was we should get lunch, which like I was a stranger. So why would you suggest that? Um, and then we had lunch and that became a regular thing. And that was the, that was my like turning point where I was like, I'm going to keep, keep, I'm going to keep on keeping on with this faith thing and see where, right. it, where it ends up. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's kind of, that was where the, the major like impact was, is my, my kids were all feeling it from the sunlight, um, children's ministry. Mm -hmm. My wife and I were feeling it from the main sanctuary. And it all just kind of started to steamroll. Um, yeah. So it starts off small and then kind of you just like, there's a lot of different areas where God is working in your life, not just your, you, but your children and wife and then all this stuff. Exactly. And then looking back on it, like looking back at my life, there were those instances where it didn't make any sense that I made decisions that I made. But also like the first book that I wrote was about my journey through like cutting and drugs and that was the first book that I wrote. And that was years ago, way before Christ. Like that was like just after high school in that like honeymoon period where I met my wife, like I was finishing that book and I titled it blooming where planted 
because I saw it on a billboard and I didn't know that that is a, it's a Bible reference and I don't know where in the Bible and I haven't found it yet. I have, I mean, I have, but I've never like, I don't know what the actual verse reads, but mm -hmm. my understanding of it is that like the point isn't to be given perfect circumstances. The point is to bloom wherever you are, wherever you are. Yeah. Wow. So um, tell me a little bit about what you believed and how, you know, uh, you were getting into it with how you met God and, you know, um, uh, talking with me or talking, going out to lunch. So like what's happening in your brain, in your heart, like walk me through the steps or what happened when you were really converted, like really dedicated, sold out for Christ. Okay. So it started off as a bandaid for like the emotional state that I was in. I was like, I got to find something that keeps me mellow and listening to sermons um, was that was that I, I wouldn't say that I was fully invested in like knowing God's word, but I was fully invested in hearing people say great things. Um, and so what the pastors, the, the three of you had been saying were like very positive and I wouldn't call it, it wasn't prosperity gospel. Like you weren't preaching, being in a good mood. Um, you were preaching the gospel and I was, I was hearing it from a perspective of like, Oh, that's such a good idea. Not like, Oh, that's Christ's mission for the world it was just oh that's a good idea um and so little by little i started I, i'm a i'm an i used to say i'm an ingredients person so when i was a hairdresser if you gave me a hairspray i needed to know why it behaved the way that it did so that i could say to my customers you know it's not going to ruin your hair because it doesn't have x y and z and instead it has a b and c that are good for your hair yeah um and so i i applied that same ingredients person concept to these Bible stories. And so I would go home and read the, the larger passage that they preached a small portion of. Um, and it started to kind of click in my head that even though they were from separate places, it was all one big unified story. Whereas previously, I'd always known the Bible to just be this collaboration of things that all talked about this one guy, but right. it was a continuum of stories. And I was like, how could it be one big story? because by its own definition, it's written by tons of different people from multiple perspectives. So there's no way it's all one unified story. It just doesn't, as an author, it doesn't make sense to have a book full of other authors and still tell one story. So I was starting to recognize like, no matter where your sermon or Bill's sermon or Scott's sermon was based out of, they were still the same story. Yeah. Um, and the, the, Bible place, the placement of our, the sermons where we were at in the main sanctuary was not lined up with where the kids were in children's ministry. So then I was learning what they were learning. And I was like, this just works. Like it shouldn't, but it does. It just works. <laughs> so that, I guess okay. that's kind of how it all started. Um, that's how it started falling into place for me. And then I started thinking about like, um, things that could have happened in my life that I, looking back, were very like, God positioned. So I I took as many theological classes in college as I could. That was the reference to like the classes that didn't help me in life at all is I took a ton of philosophy classes in college because it was interesting. And coming right out of high school, one of my or my the best friend I had was a pastor. His name was Dave. Mm -hmm. um, Dave is an amazing human being. Um, and he what I guess I would call discipling now. Um, he attached himself to me and we spoke all the time and he had two small children and a wife, but still met me at Denny's at like midnight twice a week. 
um, to talk about the gospel of John. It was always John. That was always where we talked. Um, and he would pray for me and I wouldn't like bow my head or close my eyes or really even pay attention. He would just talk. Um, and he was my best friend. And so he planted a church called the lighthouse, which borrowed space from the local movie theater. It wasn't a physical place, but yeah. I ended up every Sunday morning helping them set up, um, listening to his sermons, sitting in the back when he would like try to engage the audience. I would always be like, ah, I don't believe it. Show me the proof. I, I used to say put up or shut up. I think I said it once a, once every Sunday for months. <laughs> but I ended up becoming friends with all the other people because they all recognized what he was trying to do. Yeah. Not specifically in me, but what he was trying to do in the area because he was really heavily focused on bringing in young people into the, the ministry. Yeah. He didn't have a youth group. It was just one like collection of people. But he was like my best friend. And so I started like analyzing his sermons to find loopholes for him like theological like empty spaces where like me as a non-believer would like drill into him and be like here's your hole you're totally wrong like that's what i would do yeah um he moved away because um his family was called to do something else um he and so he was gone and that like left a hole in my life where I didn't have that kind of friendship anymore, but I still had this thirst for those kinds of conversations, which is why I took those kinds of classes in college. Gotcha. Um, and so I researched a tremendous number of religions, which in a way was a great thing, but that, that tremendous number of religions um, ended up, I, I would, I was doing like spiritual grocery shopping for years. Like, Oh, I was a Buddhist. And then I was a Taoist. Cool. Over here. This one over here. Yeah. This is cool. And a little bit of that and a little bit of this and, and yeah. none of it ever worked. Um, but that's what I was doing. And so when I finally encountered Christ uh, a year ago, um, I had just recently come out of a shopping trip through um, Taoism. Um, that's the aisle of the grocery store I was shopping and I was a Taoist. Sure. Um, and I love the principles of Taoism and they're very like the, the, stu the study of it was beneficial for me because of some of the practices that I still do. But it, mm -hmm. I wasn't faith based at all. It was just like good tips for living. Mm -hmm. um, which is not really what I wanted and not what I needed. I didn't need tips for a living. Yeah. Um, I needed Jesus and I didn't have that. Um, but when we found Christ, um, that's where I was. I yeah. was out of my shopping trip with Taoism. And so you were trying different things to medicate like you've done your whole life. Yeah, exactly. And you thought like practices would help. Yeah. And until you met the person of Christ. Exactly. When yeah. I finally encountered the, you ever, I, I've been hearing this a lot lately that you can hear the gospel and not hear the gospel. Sure, like someone sure. can read it to you or say it to you or define it to you. But then the word hear to us is like auditory, like into your ear. But the word hear, I think, and I was talking to my kids about like the way that Paul explained it in Colossians at the beginning was like, you heard the gospel. And so we're praying for you. Yeah. Um, and I think he probably meant more in the sense that like not you heard someone say it, but like you really like you you experienced it like your heart heard it yeah and you yeah. changed as a result of that experience since so i was explaining it to my kids and i guess that's the way i probably should explain it right now is when i actually heard the guy because yeah. dave, dave preached the gospel every sunday morning and every tuesday and every thursday at denny's and i'd never heard it um yeah. but when i finally you heard it you didn't hear, I didn't, exactly. hear it in here so when i finally like heard it yeah um i realized that 
Christianity and having Jesus in my life was not the next aisle of the religious grocery store. It was what it, it was what I was what everything was leading up to. Yeah. In my yeah. life. That's amazing, man. That's a, I mean, that's a crazy journey and yeah. God is awesome. <laughs> Just like being with you that whole time. Yeah. Um, I'm about but we to, only have a got to shift a minute. Keep talking, but my laptop's going to die. Yeah. We have uh, about five minutes left for our interview. I want to ask you where you headed now. You said you're studying to be a pastor. You, you have this call to be a pastor. Um, yeah. You got, um, you know, your family, you're, you're in transition. Uh, yeah. What's next? What's your calling? Where are you going to go with this whole faith thing? So I, I have always enjoyed being on stage. I've always enjoyed making a difference for people and teaching them how to improve. Um, that was my journey as a hairdresser, um, teaching better hair techniques, teaching better like ergonomics. You're not in pain. That was my journey um, as a hairdresser, and um, I took a tremendous number of uh, like facilitation classes, like how to play to an audience, where to stand on stage to include everyone, how to make sure to look at everybody, and how to calm your nerves, and like mm -hmm. how to structure speeches. And I've always been good at writing, so words have never been an issue. Um, so I always kind of went with that. Um, and, and in, in finding Christianity, I found that I, what I, I believe to be that all of that was leading up to investing in other people through spreading the gospel. And um, so I believe that I was meant to write. And so I'm going to start with the book that I talked about at the beginning, which was my journey. And then I'm going to probably expand on that in my like belief on how those experiences, you know, yeah. impacted Christianity. And so I'm going to, I expect in my life to write probably several books um, about it. And my goal um, short term is to get um, as deep into the word as I can. Like I've read the Bible because it was an assignment in college, but I've not, I didn't like read the Bible. It was like looking for like you heard and you heard and then exactly. you, read, you read and then you're like, yeah. Um, so I know a lot of what's in it, but I know a lot of what's in it from an intellectual perspective, sure. not from, a relational a relationship with Christ perspective. So that's I'm, a good goal. That's a great goal. That's my goal. So fully yeah. invest in the Bible um, while going through discipleship with uh, one of the other pastors here, Jason. Yeah. Um, with the ultimate goal of, of being um, actually, I came up with this metaphor the other day and I was like, I think over proud of it, overly proud of it. Let's hear it. Um, the metaphor is, it up. Let's hear it. I am, I am working towards being, um, physically um earthly qualified to preach something that i was pre-qualified to do by god oh man a little bit of predestination in there predestination. <laughs> so i believe that all of the stuff i had been doing in life has led up to giving me a specific point of view on preaching the gospel and now there's just channels i have to go through to be qualified to do so yeah um, um Format. So I, I intend I want, to read books, and if God has it for me, I'll plant a church, and if he doesn't, then I'll preach when asked to um, yeah. go from there. I want to end this on this note. Um, the name of this podcast is God is Awesome. Yes. The God is Awesome podcast. Yes. So tell me why you think God is awesome. Oh, heavy question. Okay. 
So just like I was saying a minute ago about how I think I have, I don't know if it's a unique perspective, but a specific perspective on preaching the gospel. I think God is awesome, if for no other reason, because there are several. I think he's awesome because it doesn't matter where you are at in your journey as a person. Um, there's no actions you can do to get any closer to him. And there's no actions you can do to get any further from him. You can't qualify yourself or earn yourself a place. Um, you can fail as many times as you want because Jesus already succeeded. And you can, um, you can do as many bad things as, as not as you want, but you can have done as many bad things as, as can be done in life because he had already taken all of that from us. And so to have like unconditional 100% fully invested love from him is something that you won't get anywhere else. And we, everything we do is to get acceptance and then gain love from other people. And then those people let us down because either we had too high an expectation or they had too low a capacity. And Mm. no matter, no matter how high or what level of expectation you have for God's love, you're wrong either way. And it's monumentally more than that. And I think that if nothing else, that, that kind of love is transformative and that's why God is awesome. Amen. Amen. God is awesome, man. Well, this was an awesome podcast. I am super honored to have you on as like the first one. Thanks. Um, yeah, absolutely. If you guys, anyone else listening, uh, check out Adam. We'll be definitely following up with his book and um, he'll be around. So thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Adam. Um, and we'll see everyone next time. See you guys. Bye.